Hi, welcome to In the Pacha, where I, Sam Reinstein, discuss the weekly Torah portion. Each week, I will bring on a different educator who will bring in their own insight. I'm the rabbi at Congregation Kol Israel in Brooklyn, and I've come to notice there's a lack of Torah that is both high-level and accessible. This podcast is an effort to start to fill that gap. This week for Parsha Balak, I have Sarah Robinson. Hi, Sarah. Hey. How you doing? Everything's great. I'm super excited to be here. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Um, so I, we know each other. We like cross paths a bunch at Yeshiva University at YU. Um, but do you mind introducing yourself to everyone else? Sure. Hey, everybody. Uh, my name is Sarah. Um, I was born and raised in Boston. And after I graduated high school, I learned in Israel for a bit. I continued my studies in Stern College, where Sam and his sister Margot and I have overlapped a bit. Um, I studied um, psychology and Talmud, and I recently graduated um, from a program which educates women in Gemara and Halacha um, called GPATS. It's a special program at Yeshiva University where I learned a lot. Um, I've been blessed to have been teaching in a number of different communities around the tri-state area, like in um, Manhattan Jewish Experience, in Ohav Shalom and Marek Long Island, and other places. And these days I teach full-time. Um, I teach Judaic Studies. Yeah. Um, so I'll be teaching um, in Manhattan Day School. Um, cool. Middle school uh, girls, um, Tanakh, Gemara, and Halacha, and it's super exciting. Thank God. Right. So switching from like the more like I guess adult education to uh, to I guess somewhat earlier. Yeah. Yeah. You excited? I really am. Um, something I really enjoy about um, teaching is getting to see different people at different points in their journey. Um, well, where at one age they'll access a text with one lens and years later they're going to come back to the same text and have a totally different view on it. And they're going to notice a new thing they didn't notice before. And so it's really great. I, I, for me, it's, I feel so lucky to see um, younger students access these texts sometimes for the very first time. Um, and then getting to work with people who are a bit older and have more life experience and then bring that to the table also. So for me to see kind of both ends of the spectrum is really awesome. And it probably gets you the ability to do that also, like totally. for yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah awesome. totally. I mean, the Talmud teaches us that um, our students are, teach us sometimes the most. That it's our students who can teach us more than sometimes what we think we can teach ourselves. Right. And I find that to be true almost every day. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, so on that on that note, I'll segue that um, on that journey that Bnei Israel are in, the Jewish people are in, in the desert. Um, so they're in, they're up to, they just, last last week's Parsha, they they beat a bunch of nations, they beat the giants, and now they're up to Parsha Balak. Um, so as usual, I'm going to do a um, quick summary of the Parsha. I'll try to keep it within 30 seconds, but um, storylines make that more difficult. Um, so here I go. Um, after seeing Bnei Israel win a couple wars, Balak, the king of Moab, is nervous of the upcoming nation and tries to get the prophet Bilam to curse Bnei Israel to beat them. There is a back and forth where God doesn't want Bilam to go, but Balak is persistent and Bilam decides to go after getting permission from God. Still, an angel is in their way and a donkey talks to him, warning him not to go. He still goes on to curse Bnei Israel, but is not able to on two mountains where he builds altars. On the third try, he fails to curse God, curse Bnei Israel, and instead blesses them. Moabite and Midianite women seduce the Jewish women, they serve idols. God commands the guilty, uh, God commands Moshe to kill the guilty, and the plague ravishes the people. Pinchas, 
sorry, Pinchas, Aaron's grandson, sees Zimri, a Jewish leader, participating and kills him with the woman he was with, Kazvi. With that, the plague stops. Okay. Um, so, um, I mean, we spoke about this a little before, um, but I'd love to hear um, your thoughts on, um, on the Parsha. Totally. Um, this Parsha is such a weird Parsha, which makes it that much more interesting to study. It's so weird because it breaks the usual norm of what we find in stories in the Chumash. Um, generally speaking, the Chumash is trying to teach us the arc of Israelite Jewish history. But what's weird about this week's Parsha is that when you told us the story, I didn't hear any characters who were Israelite or who were Jewish. These were all people who either were totally freaked out by the Jews' like strength and they were concerned, oh no, what is going to happen if all these um, Israelites that conquer us and then we're gonna that's that'd be really scary and and we the main character of this week's Parsha Bilam this non-Jewish prophet is hired to um to curse the Jewish people it sounds like he wasn't successful like he whenever he tried making a negative prophecy um God forced him to say a beautiful prophecy praising and blessing the Jewish people but again this is all someone talking about the Jewish people, not actually internally summoned from within. Right. So, we're not, we're not so it's really yeah. just. Yeah, totally. Which, and the only time we actually ever do see a Jewish person making an active um, point here is at the very end of the, of the Parsha, because when Bilam isn't successful, the Balak, the king who hired Bilam to begin with, thought, oh no, I. I'm back at square one. I have to find some other way to spiritually damage the Jewish people. I have an idea. I'll get the women of Moab to start sleeping around with the Israelite men, and that will cause a spiritual plague um, against the Jewish people. And indeed, that's really the only time we actively see um, Israelite people really at the end is at the, only at the very end when we have these Moabite women um being promiscuous with the Israelite men and having the heroism of Pinchas um, stop that um, the, the madness within the camp. So it's just interesting to me that just from the get-go, when we consider who are the characters and who isn't here. Yeah. I mean, and even Pinchas, who's a character, it's all the way at the end. And even when it's all the way at the end, uh, honestly, that's really what next week's part show is about, right? It's not even really what this week's is. Um, and, uh, and yeah. Uh, yeah. So why do you think that is? Like, if the if the story of the Chumash usually is about Jewish people and their history, our history, then why do we need this story? Hmm. Right. I mean, I definitely yeah, think I on some level it tells us something about the um, the like the other people's reactions. I think that's important as well. Hmm. What do you mean by that? Um, like, what I mean is, is our interaction with the world around us. I guess I'm going to be talking about this a little bit more. But like, I, on our interaction with the first of all, non-Jewish people are important too. <laughs> but like, uh, and their stories are important too. Um, but if uh, like, like our interaction with them is like an important part of our story, right? Like 
almost like you have a main character in, in most, I think, novels that I read, right? Like you have a main character, but there's always like a side story of like another character who's like interacting with that character. You know what I mean? Right. 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 The question is like, why, why this story? Right. I guess. Right. Hmm. I, I found this to be a really compelling point um, that it's important to see it from someone else's perspective. And the reason why I, I like that point so much is because um, I, when I hear this story of Balak hiring Bilam to curse the Jewish people um, out of fear that the Israelites are going to take over, um, I hear echoes um, from two other stories in Tanakh, which kind of shed light on this story. Hmm. Um, okay. And the first one is that of, and the very, it was Paro. Um, Paro is concerned that the Israelite people are so, so big that they're going to wage a war against us and they're going to kick us out of the land of Egypt. And so his um, evil plan is infanticide, right? Killing all the Jewish baby boys and, and Hashem retaliates with the 10 plagues and ultimately taking the Jewish people out of Egypt. But so with there, with Paro, it was this kind of when he was afraid of the Jewish people um, rising up against him and fighting. It wasn't when I think about his concern, it was kind of a bizarre thing to think. Like, were the Israeli people really that interested in like in waging war against Paro? Not really. I mean, they, they were just living in Egypt at the time because they that's where they were. I mean, they they went down initially to get uh, bread during a famine, but they weren't particularly interested in waging war. But now that the Israeli people are on the cusp of entering the land of Israel, it's now they've already been through the Exodus story. They've already accepted, gotten the Torah. And now we're en- at the very end of this 40 year journey through the desert. And now we're, this story is, it's a nice lens to see how other people are perceiving us. And whereas Paro, when he was, he was perceiving us was kind of irrational and really evil and how he dealt with this concern. Um, now we see a kind of similar thing where actually now we are mighty and powerful. Like the concern is a real concern. We really can't, we are a threat to other people. And we see how uh, Balaka just chooses to retaliate with uh, Bilam. So that's, that's kind of one echo story that I'm hearing and also like helps hmm. us see the importance of the story because we see like how other people are looking at us. Um, right. And the other echo story that I'm hearing um, is the story of um, Abraham and Lot. Um, back in the book of Genesis, um, we are told of, of, this, of this great man, Abraham Avinu, and how um, he is he is a great man. He's a maverick. And how um, he's tested by God and he passes all the tests. And the most famous test was when he was able to and bring, you know, wake up early in the morning, saddle his donkey and bring his son and another young boy, presumably Ishmael, right. um, to the mountains to offer up his son as a sacrifice to God. Um, and um, I don't want to get into all the theological challenges of that story. Uh, but what's amazing is that actually we see Bilam in this week's Parsha going through a very similar story too, when right. he chooses yeah. to to accept this mission um, from Balak and to curse the Jewish people. He too um, wakes up early in the morning and he saddles his donkey and he takes two um, 
lads with him and he's on this journey. And while he's on this journey, you mentioned how the donkey talks to him to tell him to, uh, telling him, you know, I'm the reason why I'm not moving forward is because, you know, I absolutely can't. And Balaam seems like a little confused by this. Um, (laughs) And it's really because, of course, Balaam can't see that there's an angel telling it, preventing the donkey from moving forward. So it's kind of similar to how in the Abraham story, there was an angel who told Abraham, stop, don't kill your son. Right. Right. So so in, in both stories, we also have an angel telling the character what to do or not to do. Um, So I'm also, I'm hearing this echo of the Abraham story also in the Bilam story as well. Interesting. And on some level, Um, sorry. Um, uh, on some level, like Avram is that original, um, like that original, like Jewish prophet. Um, I mean, obviously there's like, he's like the original Jewish prophet. and some level like Bilam fills that void for non-Jews. Um, also mm-hmm. like, that's just like another comparison. So wh- what do you think like the comparisons there for? Like, I mean, like, cause there's like a clearer connection but like avram's clearly like you know one of the other but um, yeah totally yeah uh, absolutely um that's a really great question um i think hmm, well for one i think it's so tempting to when you read the parsha to feel um sympathetic and actually kind of like Bilam because he is a prophet after all I and mean, you got to be a really awesome person for god to give you prophecy um, it just doesn't like happen that God chooses you right. um, to receive that prophecy. You have to work according to Maimonides. He explains in his guide to the perplexed that it's a combination of God choosing you. And also you have to work really hard in order to access this um, godliness within you. So God could channel himself within you and, and communicate prophecy. So there's a part of Bilam that you want to say to yourself, wow, he is a hero. Um, but on the other hand, I think it's clear that he's a sinister person. And I I think it's um I think we can sense that for the following reason. We're at and and you, this really comes out when you compare him to Avraham, because whereas Avraham goes down from Mesopotamia to the land of Israel, Lechlecha, following God's commands, um trying to search for God, trying to spread God's name to do good and to bring blessing to those who deserve to be blessed right. and, you know, enables blessing to come to the world. Whereas Avraham, I think, is genuine and truly lives by his values. I see Bilam walking in similar footsteps, but being so, but what his evilness is how he gives a facade of being so good, but at his core going for all the wrong reasons. Right. Meaning, whereas Avraham is genuine about his journey and, and his decision to you know, follow through with God's test and wake up, that's why he wakes up early morning to saddle his donkey and everything. I think with Bilam, the reason why he schlepped all the way down from Mesopotamia to and the land of Moab to curse the Jew to, to, to the land of Moab was, was to curse people. That's right. what he wanted to do. Um, it was only because when he opened his mouth to say those initial curses, 
God prevented the curses from coming out and instead it was blessing. Meaning, I think what I'm trying to say is that whereas Abraham always had good intentions and good actions, what we see with Bilaam is that Bilaam has bad intentions, but in the end is able to create good by saying these beautiful prophecies about how awesome the Israelite people are. Right, and all these prophecies about the end of days that are really nice and really amazing. Uh, you know, those, those come out good, even though he didn't mean to. Totally. And I think that's what, when we think about morality, some, when something is wholly good, when my intentions are good and my actions are good, that equals good. And of course, when someone has bad intentions and they do bad, of course that is bad. But Bilaam, I think, is in this weird middle category because his intentions are bad, but because his prophecy is good, you want to think of him like this Abraham figure. But maybe Bilaam is there to teach us that even when your act, your, your, the output, the action is good, that's not enough. You need to always have the good intentions to follow through also. Right. Uh, and I think on some level there's... There's a there's a Gemara that really was Bilam's idea. The next thing to tell Balak to send the Midianite and Moabite women to like mess up with like that. That was really Bilam's idea, and I think that would fit in with this really strongly. Saying that you know when your intentions aren't good, like sure that action might have ended up good, but we're just going to assume that you did bad stuff afterwards because if you're if you're not trying to do good, you might fall. You know a broken clock is is right twice a day that doesn't mean that you did mm-hmm. your job because you blessed the israel like no you you're gonna mess up again because you're not serious about this right mm. really interesting and i think this is also really relevant to our daily lives because i i think a lot of us in general don't intend to do bad. Like I say, the majority of people in the world aren't sinister. They're not out to get you. Um, I think whenever we do mess up, I would like to think it's these like mistaken things where we had good intentions, but things didn't work out that way. But when we think about how others look at our actions, sometimes they don't know that. Like they're really not sure if it was a mistake. Like when others are looking at what we do, maybe they're asking themselves, do they... Did this person really have positive intentions all along? Right. Or were they really trying to mess me up? Um, so I I think this, I know for me, when I study the story for Bill, I'm, I don't want to give him the benefit of the doubt here. I don't want to, I don't want to think, oh, well, maybe he had good, in, he had good intentions. I, I don't want to think that at all. And the reason why I don't want to think that way is because he was initially hired to curse the Jewish people. And it was only really by mistake. Basically, or not really a mistake. It's only because God didn't let him do that. Right. God had to intervene. God told him, right? And so it, that's a. That's why I I don't want to get sucked into it. But otherwise, I think if you don't pay attention to that point, um, you could really uh, otherwise think that he's a, a great guy. Huh. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I I think that gives everyone something to think about, just in terms of, um, you know, both how you're perceived from other people and how you know, like when you see somebody's intentions are trying to, they're trying to do the right thing, you know, try and maybe see, try and see that if, if their intentions are there. 
Uh, I think that's very powerful on both sides of it. Yeah. Cool. Um, so I wanted to, uh, to move to something else because um, something that when I was reading the Varsha um, that I just saw and I was very confused about is, um, is like Bullock's plan um, because like if I had a warring nation coming at me and I was nervous about them, like I don't think my first reaction would be let's get a prophet to try and curse them and like try and have this like spiritual battle, um, this, like, right. spiritual rap battle that they're trying to have. And like, I, I, I would like much more imagine he builds up an army, you know, he, I, I would think he does what, what, as you mentioned, like what Paro does, right? Paro, they're leaving, they build up an army, they do something tactical by throwing the babies into the water, albeit awful, crazy awful, um, obviously. And when they're trying to get them back, they run after them with an army. Like, that's how you react. And I just noticed, like, that Balak doesn't do that at all. He doesn't build up an army. He goes spiritually, like, hardcore spiritually at them for the cursing. And then even afterwards, he goes spiritually at them at the end when that doesn't work. Um, and I was trying to think as to why, <laughs> like why he would do that. Um, especially because when you look at like what they were nervous about and a lot of the, the commentaries say they were nervous that they were going to kill them. They were nervous that they were going to throw them out of their land. They were nervous, you know, all this stuff. And like, like, why, then why is his answer, let's try and curse them? It doesn't seem mm-hmm. to fit, you know, it doesn't seem to mesh. Um, yeah, so um, I saw this article um, by Menachem ben, ben Yashar, who's a professor of Bible at bar and he actually taps into something that the Das Zakanim says, um, which is an early Rishon, uh, early commentary, um, says is that what Balak saw that he was actually safe. That Bnei, he never concerned that Benesha was going to attack him. He he clearly mm-hmm. saw that they weren't going to attack Moab and Midian, which he was right about, right? Like God even tells them, like you're not going to attack them, right? They only have this fight because of the instigation, but they weren't going to attack them. But right. what the problem is is that he wasn't worried that they were going to attack them. He was worried that they were going to like use up all the land around him. And when you're an agrarian society and you're a society based on shepherding, so you kind of can't function in a vacuum. You can't function just in your like town. Like America can kind of function in a vacuum um, in 2018. But like um, in, in then like Moab can't just like only own their land. They also need to be able to go out. They need to have place for their sheep to graze. They need, you know, they need all these things. They need the farmland. They need all this stuff. And if B'nai Israel cut that off, it will just kill them like politically with the other nations around them and cut them off economically. And so he saw that clearly this was a God choosing what's going on. Because if it was a person that was choosing what was going on, they would have just fought them. Like Bnei Israel would have just fought them. And they would have beaten them, or they would have tried to beat them, and that would have been it. Um, so he saw that clearly like people weren't involved, and it was God that was involved. So he, he attacked it on the spiritual side, and not on the, on the physical side, because he wasn't actually nervous about that. And I don't know, mm. I, I, I just wonder how much 
how many times in our life, like that the fight's on the spiritual side and we try and attack it on the, um, cause really what Billum's doing, what Bullock's doing kind of works, right? It doesn't work amazingly cause he ends up losing the war eventually, but like it, it like really works to attack the Israel. And I wonder how often, um, we, we like physically go at people when really the fight isn't there. The fight isn't mm-hmm. in this like practical, political, um, like conversation and it's really much more of a uh you know a spiritual one or an emotional one or you know um and and even internally how often we try and attack maybe um things we're doing um in a practical way and really it's a spiritual struggle that we're having yeah i don't know if you had any thoughts on that Um, so it sounds like it's like this misplaced energy where where we might be have it Maybe we identified the problem, but the way we go about it is totally missing the point. Right. And I think it's interesting. Like I'm, I'm kind of showing Bullock as a shrewd person, as a smart, smart character in this way, but I think he gets it. I think he actually understands. He's wrong that he can curse B'nai Israel, and he's wrong that he can beat Hashem, right? He's wrong that he can be God. Um, but like his theory of like, I'm going to attack this in a spiritual way is not, is like, yeah, is not misplaced. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, right. Well, something I also just think is interesting. Go ahead. I don't care. No, no, you were about to say something. No, no, go ahead. Really. Oh, well, something that I think is interesting about when you're mentioning that the concern of the agrarian society mm-hmm. of not having enough uh, land, I just find that really interesting because I, I see this as another echo of the Abraham story, hmm. um, because Abraham, when he had a lot of uh, money, um, so did his nephew. And there was a concern that there wasn't going to be enough room between his stuff and his nephew's Ooh. stuff. And ultimately, he Abraham and his nephew Lot split up, where Abraham stayed on one side and Lot went to the land of Sodom. Ah. And... Um, yeah. And so it was, I mean, ultimately, of course, um, Lot and his family was destroyed. Lot, uh, the, the land of Sodom was destroyed and Lot um, narrowly escaped with his two daughters and the, his, and w- with his, one of his daughters, there was an act of incest. And of course they, he, that was how the nation of Moab came to begin with. Right. right? Oh. And so it was, it all started ultimately because there wasn't enough land for both of them. Right, but they even there, together. right, even there, that the Avram goes at it wrong, right? Like, they think that that's the conversation that comes, but it's at least, I think, is this in the Midrash or is this in the text? Um, that that Avram's, Avram was muzzling his, his animals and Lot wasn't. Um, Right. When they were going through the Midrash. Other, right. the Midrash. Okay. So the Midrash yeah. maybe is trying to say, uh, oh, sorry, to background. Um, Avram was muzzling his animals when they went through other people's lands. Lot's followers weren't um, because they said, this is going to be our land anyways, eventually. Why not just take it? And so maybe the Midrash is trying to say there is Avraham, no, like you're doing the wrong thing by fighting this on a practical like sheep, oh, you don't have enough space for your sheep. It's really much more about like the spiritual battle within loads. 
and trying to get Lou to understand that he's supposed to be a better person. And had he been able to do that, maybe it would have like saved this where, where somebody actually does get it, but for harm, you know, um, that's really cool. That's a really cool loop. And also when we consider the fact that we're dealing right now with Lot's great, 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 great grandchildren in the nation of Moab, right? These are precisely the same people who are having this, the same concern now uh, about um, how we're going to handle this, like, the, this people who wants to like, take our land away. Um, and so we're, it's kind of like we're seeing history repeat itself. Right. And it's almost like when you make a mistake, like that mistake, that specific mistake kind of comes back to, to bite you um, in like a kind of a serious way where, where like the thought that it's a spiritual battle instead of a physical one um, isn't seen. And then it's seen, but to fight that, oh, I really love that. Yeah. Cool. Well, something that I really love, um, I love it is um, when we consider how we ha- we it sounds like we have, like able to see this like really negative track that starts with Abraham and Lode and continues in this space Parsha. Um, then we so then you kind of have a sour taste in your mouth of like, oh no, why is it so terrible? But ultimately, I think there is a resolution that comes, and that does happen. Um, towards the very end um, in the book of Ruth. Right. Where in the book of Ruth, you have the pro- the, everyone, these people's progeny, the, the pe- people of Moab, Ruth the Moabite, um, is able to kind of fix all these problems that we see with the Moabite people in our week's, this week's Parsha. Whereas in this week's Parsha, you have Moabites who are concerned about not having enough land and you have concerns about... Um, that you know, there's no way we can ever get along, and concerns that I'm going to like manifest a spiritual um, issue into a physical one. Ruth fixes all of that, where she um, she comes to show respect for other people and her story. She comes to um, she moves to the land of Israel, and she's willing to let go of her um, her former homeland. She's and when she converts, she's saying, "I'm open to." I'm expanding what my spirituality means, right? And I find that so inspiring how ultimately this does, many generations later, really does have a, a sweet ending. And it's all thanks to Ruth the Mobite's heroism. It's going to take a while for us to get there. Um, awesome. Um, I think that's a really great place to end. Um, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on. Um, good luck. Good luck teaching. I hear first year teaching is 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 a hard uh, endeavor, Um, but you'll do great. Um, So thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. Um, This is really awesome. Yeah, and for everyone listening, uh, pay attention, subscribe, give a rating, and pay attention for next week for Parsha Pinchas.